today, um, we are going to actually admit here a testimony uh, from somebody. Um, we take time out, those of you that have come for a while, to know that um, regularly on Sundays, we don't just hear a typical sermon, but we get to hear folks' real-life testimony. But we do that, though. Throughout the month of January, I've shared that we're going to take these moments to talk a little bit about establishing spiritual disciplines and things in our lives to make them foundational as we face 2015. Um, And last week I talked a little bit about that. And and today I want to talk to you a little bit about this as well. Uh, One of the things that I always find interesting, and I'm one of those maybe folks that are just wired this way. When I go out to eat with my wife or, or, or hang out, I like observing people. I like observing people. I observe tables. And one of the things that always strikes me is I watch a couple at a table and there's no conversation. There's no, uh, there's no connecting. There's no... Uh, and it's not the kind of connection where two people know each other so well and there's such level of intimacy that without speaking anything, there's this, I'm not talking, I'm talking about this fact that over the years, clear that these two people have sort of drifted. They just kind of sort of drifted. Maybe it was the busyness of life and maybe it was career and putting career first. Maybe it's putting children first. Maybe they just took each other for granted because, you know, married couples tend to do that sometimes. But so obviously the two people sort of just kind of just, just drifted. And I've found this principle to be true in my life. I don't know about yours, but in my life, and that is people drift apart. But people almost never drift into intimacy. People drift apart. But I've almost never seen anybody who said, we just drifted into intimacy. See, drifting takes no effort. Drifting is easy. Sorry to be in some of your grills, some some married couples sitting here today. Drifting is easy. Drifting takes no effort. Just go with the flow. Intimacy? That takes resolve. That takes fight. That takes effort. That takes priority. That takes, I'm going to do this if it's the last thing I do kind of priority. People drift apart. People never drift towards intimacy. And that principle is true of intimacy with God. I've never met anyone who said, my testimony is I just drifted into intimacy with God the Father. But I know that I'm sitting here, standing here, looking at plenty of people, perhaps whose testimony this morning is, you know, I just kind of sort of drifted apart in my relationship with God. It's easy to drift towards compromise. It's easy to drift towards spiritual apathy. It's easy to drift towards sin. It's easy to drift. But it takes resolve, it takes fight, it takes intentionality for an intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father. Have you drifted apart? 
as you begin the year, is there a resolve, a fight, a stick-to-itiveness, a willingness to go, this relationship with my Heavenly Father is so important. I'm not going to allow this just sort of drift, go with the current flow thing to happen. But, and we use this phrase in our church, but via grace-driven effort. Can I say that again? Via grace-driven effort. First, grace. We don't do this to merit relationship with God. That's settled once and for all on the cross. But grace-driven effort, and that is because I know he loves me, because I know he accepts me, grace-driven, I am going to resolve to fight and to work for this intimate relationship. grace-driven effort. And by that I mean intentional prayer time, intentional time studying His Word, Scriptures, the Bible. Setting aside this and prioritizing this with Him. It's taking that small step each and every day that will eventually become a habit. Um, And one of the most powerful promises of scripture for me is draw near to God finish your rest and what he will draw near to you and you know what the amazing thing is and I need to say this I need to some of you are sitting there going does he want to know me yes he wants to know you he wants a relationship with you he wants to be known he wants this intimate relationship with you I don't know where we get this idea that God delights in playing some cosmic hide and seek where he goes work 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 I'm just going to hide here he so desires a relationship with you he so desires to be known He so desires to be intimate with you that he did this. You talk about taking the first step. He took the gigantic cosmic first step in the form of his son to declare to you, I want to know you and I want to be known. draw near to me and I want to draw near for those of you that have just drifted apart from God those who just no effort just drifted towards apathy and rebellion you need to know something God the Father is not sitting up there with arms folded and saying try really playing hide and seek he's been pursuing after you saying I want to be known I want you to know me Grace-driven effort. Oh, I wish you and I knew how desperately our God desires you. I longs for you. Even when you don't sense his presence, that he is after you. Not because he's after you, but because he's after you. Um, I'm going to get real practical, real practical. Four things or five things I should say as you try and establish, as I try and establish habits this year, spiritual disciplines 
I've shared this before. Studies have shown that habits will eat willpower for breakfast. Do you know that some 40% of what we do every day, 40% of what we do every day is a result of habit. 40%. That's why when we go, oh, I've been convicted by that sermon, and I want to get back in a relationship with God, and yet there are no disciplines, rhythms, or habits that have been formed, it's almost impossible. Establishes habits in his word. And as you do this year, these things real quick. And then we're going to call Evan up. One, don't overextend. What do I mean? It's better to read one chapter every day than to read four chapters every two months. It's better to read one chapter every day than four chapters. Oh, I got to get back to the... Establish the rhythm. And as you read scriptures, listen carefully. Look for God more than information about God. Look for God more than information about God. The point and the goal is not, did I read my Bible and get something out of it? The point is we set aside time to give God our undivided attention, rest in his presence, and enjoy his company, allowing intimacy to deepen. And Don't worry about the time. Don't worry about the time. Five minutes, seven minutes, it's more important that you do it consistently. And if you're somebody who it's been a long time since you've been regularly doing this, don't go, I'm going to read the Bible every single day. Maybe next 30 days. There's some wonderful Bible tools out there online. Here's a great one that I use. Uversion.com has wonderful Bible reading plans. Wonderful, about 21-day reading plans, 30-day reading plans, half a year, year, topical. Check it out. Number two, ah, don't do it alone. What do I mean? Turn this personal scripture devotional time into a team effort, a community project. Nothing is more lethal than trying to do this sort of solo sport. Invite community. Invite two, three people to go, hey, can we do this together? Keep me accountable. I'll keep you accountable. Three, don't just do it whenever. Listen carefully. If you don't control your schedule, your schedule will control you. Say it with me. If you don't control your schedule, your schedule will control you. If you don't, if I don't control our schedules, our schedules will control us. What is urgent will fast displace what's important, and what is good will oftentimes supplant what is best. If your basic game plan is, I'm going to read the Bible whenever, you'll never do it. If you don't control your schedule, your control will schedule you. It's imperative. Set a specific time each day when you can get along with God. Me, I try and do it in the morning. It's not legalistic, mandatory. First thing, try to do it in the morning. Fourth, don't turn a means of grace into a means of merit. I'm just going to say this, and I'm going to move on. You not reading your Bible doesn't make God love you less. You reading your Bible doesn't make God love you more. You're already accepted in him. Verdict is out. Court's dismissed. You're in. You don't do this to earn his merit. He loves you. 
He wants intimacy with you. Don't turn it into some, I got to earn favor with God. He loves you, desires intimacy with you. And fifth, and most importantly, I'll be done with this. Don't forget the next 23 hours and 45 minutes of the day. I think it's the most important thing about this. It's not that here's 15 minutes and I'm done. The most important thing about this is, listen very carefully, is that it focuses you and me into becoming aware of his presence and that we go about the rest of his day aware of his presence, that he is with us and in everything we do. The goal is to become aware of his presence every moment, every second of our lives so that our lives are filled with an awareness of his presence that leads to contentment and joy. Listen, listen, listen very carefully. The entire goal is that throughout the day, and this is what I see in scriptures like, abide in me. Remain in me. I am divine, you are the branches. All these scriptures, my sheep listen to my voice. All these scripture passages get to this point that the Christian life, the Christian life is not, I spend 15 minutes with God, check, I go about the rest of my day. The Christian life is, and I don't even know how to explain this well, the Christian life is one in which you and I are capable of living out our entire day constantly aware of his presence and filled with the knowledge of his love and his work in our life. That's the goal. That's the goal. What would 2015 be like if you and I set aside time so that we spent on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, even at work, aware of his presence? We focus so much on sin and trying to not sin. Problem is, when you're focused on sin and trying to not sin, what ultimately becomes the focus? Sin. God says, fix your eyes on me. Psalmist says, I have set the Lord always before me. Apostle Paul says, take every captive your thoughts and make it obedient to Christ. It's about developing an awareness, Father's presence with us and in us throughout the day. Someone said that it takes about 30 days of repeated behavior for it to become a habit. What can you and I do this year to make it a habit of spending time with our Heavenly Father in His Word. Find people, keep you accountable. There might be nothing more critical and important to invest in this year. At this point, I want to invite Evan uh, up to join me. Here, Evan. Um, Evan and I have been getting to know each other better. And one of the things that I'm blessed with and by in the life of our church is that there are family members like Evan um, whose testimony for me is it's such a blessing, it's so powerful that I walk away going, I want everybody in our church to be able to meet Evan and hear his story and hear his testimony. So will you give Evan a warm welcome? Thanks. 
So, Evan, uh, tell, us, uh, tell us a little bit about just where you're from, where you grew up, and uh, so many of us, like, what brought you to Chicago? All right, so um, I grew up in upstate New York, um, near Schenectady, New York. Um, I pretty much lived my whole life there, went to school um, in Montreal and McGill for college. That was kind of fun. And I kind of knew I did not want to go back to Schenectady, New York after being in Montreal. Mm-hmm. So um, I, was, uh, I did my medical school actually back in um, Albany, which is right near Schenectady. But I knew for residency I just needed to be in a place that was urban. And so I was looking. You know, New York always felt too big, mm-hmm. you know, for me. Mm-hmm. Too metropolitan, like a, just a, a mega city. So Chicago was just the right size. So I applied at Northwestern, did my residency there, met my wife there, mm-hmm. and I've been here ever since. Okay. Yeah. So you're uh, an ER doctor. I am. Okay, yeah. you're an ER yeah, doctor. Yeah. We've got a number of folks that kind of in the medical industry. So you have an interesting testimony, how you came to faith. So tell yeah. us a little bit about kind of your upbringing, your background, um, and, uh, and, and, and how that point of encountering Christ happened. So um, I'm Greek, and as you may or may not be aware, all Greeks are Greek Orthodox. Practically all of them are. It's a cultural thing. And so, you know, I did attend church um, as a child. My mom would bring us. My dad really didn't attend, but we would go. We did Sunday school as part of that. Um, There's Greek schools. We did that, too. Um, I hated church. Absolutely hated church. Why? it was very religious. There was a liturgy. There was kind of like this thing going on in like this classical Greek. Didn't understand it. Um, it was hours long. It would start at something like 8 or 9 in the morning and go until noon. And we would pretty much show up around 10, do like an hour, an hour and a half of it kind of a thing. You know, uh-huh. kids would be excused. We'd go to Sunday school. But, you know, I really... I didn't know what was going on there. It mm-hmm. just seemed for a kid it was really boring. Mm-hmm. And um, as I grew older... I didn't really understand what it was about, you know. Mm -hmm. I think we would kind of hear the whole, like, uh, he died for your sins. He died for your sins. Mm -hmm. And I would just urge people to um, be aware that that doesn't necessarily mean anything to a person Mm -hmm. if they don't, if the whole picture is not presented to them as a whole. So I heard that, and if someone were to ask me, well, what do Christians believe? And I wouldn't necessarily identify myself as a Christian, um, you know, after I w- was not in the house, I was, wasn't going on Sundays, I wouldn't say I was a Christian. Um, I, I could repeat that, but I didn't know what it meant. Mm. And I didn't know why he died. You know, why did he die for my sins? Mm. What, what does that accomplish? Why do I need someone to do that for me? Mm-hmm. So I didn't really get that. Mm-hmm. So um, I, moment I could get away from that, I was like, I'm never going back to a church again. Ha, ha, ha. Right? <laughs> Never going back there again. There's um, some folks in our church that could relate to that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, for me, it was a, a tough thing about like wanting to come to a church. I yeah. mean, a, if my mother could see this, she'd be like, "Wow, he, mm-hmm. he wants to go to church." Mm-hmm. I mean, she went through that with me. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that was definitely not something I wanted to do. Yeah. So you grew up in that context, that background. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your young adult years or adult years, and and, and... yeah. So you know. Um, it kind of became a mission for me to be a doctor, and it is a long kind of a, you know, a, a journey, you know, college, med school, residency, the whole thing, testing, testing, testing along the way, and, uh, you know, that was my focus, you know, and um, I think you kind of can get to this point where you think that your happiness is going to be like, okay, when I, uh, when I get into med school, then I'll be happy, okay? Things are tough now, but when I get into med school... 
I'm really going to be happy. Mm-hmm. And then you get to med school, and it's this and it's that, and it's a lot of hard work. And you say, you know what? I'm not happy now, but I can tell you one thing. <laughs> when I'm a resident, mm-hmm. then I'll be a doctor. I'll actually be practicing medicine. Mm-hmm. Then, then I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Then you get there, and that's really hard. And that's, you know, not necessarily a lot of fun. And then, uh, you know, you're like, well, when I'm an attending, that's when I'll really, I'll have made it. I will really have made it at that point. And then, By you know, the way, nobody could relate to you right now. No, no, okay, no. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm totally alone in this. Um, so, you know, and the other thing I had said, so that was one goal, yeah. you know, was mm. I'm going to do this, okay? Mm. Um, and the other goal I'd set for myself was, you know, getting married and having a family. And, uh, you know, some people want to be rock stars. Some people want to be billionaires. I, my goals were, you know, I wanted to be a doctor, and I wanted to be married, and I want to have children. Mm-hmm. And I achieved those things. Mm. And guess what? It didn't make me happy. Mm-hmm. Okay? There was, don't get me wrong, I, mm. you know, I, I love my wife, I love my children. Mm. Well, that's not the problem. <laughs> Thanks for clearing But I'll tell you something, yeah. it's more to worry about. You get there, and now it's like, well, I'll feel relief, I'll feel joy, I'll have fulfillment. Yeah, there was those things. Yeah. But now I'm just worried. about my kids. Now I'm just worried about this. I'm worried about, you know, so there's still no peace. Yeah. There is no, so I achieved, I got to a point in my life um, where I'd kind of like, so this is it, huh? I kind of did it all that I wanted to do anyways, you know? Um, Now what? Where am I going to find my happiness, you know? I wasn't really, I don't even think doing a really good job Mm -hmm. as a dad, a husband, and a doctor, Personally, I think technically I was doing a good job, but part of being a doctor is also, like, caring. I definitely wasn't doing that. That's just a fact. Mm. That was not happening. What do you mean? Um, there is a culture. Um, this is just going to be, I'm just going to be totally honest with you now, okay? Um, there is a graveyard humor culture in the emergency room. We get to see every kind of person, top, bottom, rich, poor, you name it. Everybody goes through the emergency room. Because yeah. everybody gets appendicitis and this and that and whatever. And, um, you know, it's a dark place. Humor-wise, the way we relate to each other, mm. I think you can be very stony-hearted. Mm. And I think that that is the pervasive attitude that's going through there. Okay? Mm. And a lot of it, you may walk in the room with a smile, but it's a persona mm. for a lot of people. And that was including myself. It was a persona. It was not... Um, coming from the heart, you know. And so I would realize when I would get home and I'd talk, how was your day, you know, honey? And I'd tell her how my day was and I would just be in in an angry rant. And I could look in her face and I saw a very unpleasant thing. I saw, wow, I think I might even be scaring her right now. Mm. That's not good. Mm. It was like a mirror was being held up, and I didn't like the person that I was. And I was kind of like, all right, well, you got to do something about this. Yeah. So having completely disregarded Christianity, because that was just for fools, okay, I was going to go find myself a way to connect with God, creator, whether he be personal or an impersonal force. And so I found Buddhism. It just appealed to me. Zen Buddhism. I was going to meditate. I was going to sit down. I was going to empty my mind. I was going to let my thoughts go. I was going to observe my consciousness. And apparently if you do this for long enough, you grow some connection with the cosmic consciousness and you become enlightened. And that's the kind of peace that I needed in my life. So that's what I did. 
I, you know, kind of became about, you know, I'm going to meditate. And I actually had a spiritual practice where I was meditating for, you know, 15 to 20, 30 minutes a day, doing it before I would go into, into work, sit in my car and do it so I wasn't getting all angry going in, you know. It didn't work. I would feel peace. Yeah, I would feel some peace. I would feel some euphoria even sometimes. But what would happen is I'd get in there, and it could not change my heart. I would still be that angry, judgmental, you know, irritable character. And there's nothing I could do about it. Mm. It just wouldn't change. I would go in there all feeling all zen, right? And give it 20 minutes couple problems come your way, and all of a sudden I'm all, you know, like that. So where did your peace go? There wasn't a real peace, was it? So that I think God used, because he let me struggle under my own effort for a couple years. And he said, okay, go ahead, do. See if you can figure this out. Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure it out. It wasn't happening. So that is the point in my life when God, I think he, I'm, I'm guessing now. He sensed I was looking for him, (laughs) but he knew I didn't know how to find him. So he kind of engineered an experience to find, you know, to reveal himself to me. What happened? So my, uh, my best friend, um, he, like myself is at times, he's kind of an interesting character. He's he's prone to depression, just like I am. Mm -hmm. You know, we just kind of Things get us down. You know, we have our up moments, our down moments. And he was going through a tough time. He was, um, had left a job intentionally so that he could work for himself out of his own home. He was uh, working in computer kind of security type of a thing. So he was contracting with different businesses. He was teaching guitar lessons out of his house. And right away when he told me he was quitting his job to work out of his house, I'm like, this is a bad idea. <laughs> it's a bad idea. Because I just know what he's like and I know what I'm like. And I know that if you... Leave us to our own devices, we'll kind of go inwards. And that's what he did. So after a couple years of this, you know, he was going through a funk, and uh, he was real depressed. Mm. And he, you know, we would try to, you know, talk on the phone maybe, you know, a couple times a week maybe. And I knew when he was depressed because he wouldn't pick up his phone. And I knew he wasn't leaving the house. He wasn't picking up the phone. Mm. So I knew something was not right. So he would go through phases of this. But one day, and, I, and now I'm convinced this is the Holy Spirit, I, I just knew he was going to kill himself. It, it was like, I know that I know that I know. It just came to me, and I just knew it. And part of it was that his father had killed himself when he was, I believe, uh, no, I can't, don't quote me on this, maybe about 13 years old. And that had always hung over that entire family darkness. And I also know just from my profession that the people who are most likely to complete an act of suicide are middle-aged men. Mm-hmm. They generally pick the most devastating ways to go about doing that, and they're usually successful. And I just, it just hit me, and I was just hopeless, because I just, I just knew I, I, I can't reach him. I'm not, I'm not going to, like, say something on the phone that's just going to cheer him up and everything's going to be better. It just doesn't work that way, you know, um, when you're in that darkness. And so it was at that moment I cried out to God. And again, at this point, I didn't know if God was a person or if God was a force like the Buddhists believe, like a thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Just cried out. And I said, God, if you, I need you to save him. Because I don't know what to do. Mm. 
you are going to have to save him. And, you know, as if God needs my help, I told him how he had to do it. Okay, I just had to make sure he understood that he had to get into his house because he wasn't going to leave the house. Yeah. I'm talking not like, not, no grocery shopping. There was like, he was not leaving that house. Okay, he was ordering food and it was a bad situation. Okay, and uh, I said, you're going to have to save him. You're going to have to find a way in there. And you're going to have to save him in his house. All right. So I cried out. It was from my heart. Yeah. Really from my heart. And uh, I forgot about it at that moment. I kind of went, not forgot about it, but I went about my business. And within a couple weeks, we were uh, taking a vacation back to Schenectady, driving there with the kids. And I get this call from my friend. And uh, he didn't normally call me when I was on vacation because he kind of was very respectful of my time. And at this point, we weren't communicating a whole ton anyways. He's like, you're never going to believe what happened to me. At this point, I was like, oh, what happened to you? He's like, well, I have a new guitar student. He was teaching guitar out of his house. Well, well, that's good. You know, a new guitar student, that's always a good thing, right? He's like, well, this is a a different kind of a guitar student. Okay. And she's uh, she's 78 years old. 78 years old. Okay. Well, you know, that's cool, you know. You can learn to play guitar at 78 years old. Yeah, and she showed up at my door without a guitar. And I was like, so she showed up to her guitar lesson without a guitar. I mean, you know, I guess you could do that. It's not really recommended. Right. And when I asked her where her guitar was, she said, the Lord's going to provide me with a guitar. And he was like, oh, well, okay then. Well, I so happen to have a guitar right here. You can use one of my spare <laughs> guitars. <laughs> you know, so he taught the lesson and went great. And, you know, after the lesson was over... Um, she was like, would you like to hear about the Lord? And to this day, he admits he doesn't know why he said Literally, yes. Literally, it went down like that. It went down like, like she that. She just straight up said. No, I think she asked him, like, so what do you, what do, you do? And he's yeah. like, I do computer security yeah. type stuff, and I teach guitar lessons. And he's like, well, what do you do? And she was like, well, I used to sell, you know, these books door to door, and I'd give Bible studies. And you know, as a matter of fact, would you like to hear about the Lord? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And he's of Jewish um, heritage, although his family was never practicing. They didn't go to synagogue or really keep any of the holidays or anything like that. So she was going to start with an Old Testament kind of teaching, not mm. to you know, kind of challenge him. And, mm. and he's like, no, actually, I think I want to hear about Jesus. Mm. And what had set the stage for that was literally the week before and in my spiritual search with all my Zen and my meditating and all these things where I was finding God here and there. I had kind of taken a trip into near-death experiences and reading about those. I'm like, well, now I'm going to find out what's really happening. I'm going to you know, find out what people say when they die. And, you know, and as medical professionals, we resuscitate people. Sure. They are clinically dead. They come back, and sure. some people have something to say about that. Yeah. What they saw. And I was particularly taken because in my search, I found a guy who was an atheist. He was a professor, and he died. And he didn't have a very pleasant experience, but something inside of him said, call out to Jesus. And Jesus showed up. And he actually had an opportunity to interact with the Lord. Hmm. And he was like, wow, my whole life was a lie. Like, you're real. And he's like, this is all, your whole life was about this moment. And he said, well, is the Bible real? He's like, the Bible, every word of it is real. He's like, are you the son of God? He's like, I am the son of God. And so for an atheist who mocked and ridiculed Christians, which I did too, by the way, this was kind of rocked his world. And it rocked my world because I was kind of like, wait a second, maybe Jesus wasn't an ascended master. 
Maybe Jesus wasn't a kind teacher, and maybe the Bible isn't a bunch of fairy tales. Wait a second. So I gave this to my friend, and he read it, and he was also kind of like, wow, maybe, maybe we've been missing the boat here. And that was the moment when she showed up. So that's how he was wanted to hear about this Jesus. Go ahead, tell me. I want, I want to hear about him. And so now he's saved. And it was through that... And it was through that that he reached me because I was blown away that God would hear my prayers. Mm. The prayers of a person who did not want him, Mm. who did not know him. I wanted no part of his son, I'll tell you that right now, Mm -hmm. at that time in my life. And Mm. I'm ashamed to say that now, but that was the truth. And he met me and he answered me specifically just the way I prayed it. Okay, he sent one of his servants to do a mission. Okay, and she went in and she did it, and mm. two of us are saved, mm. and it's all moving out from there to our families and to our friends, and mm. it's an incredible thing. That's our God. That's what he does. Amen. Yeah. Amen. That's what he does. Amen. That's very touching to Amen. me because I just, um, you know, you wonder, does he hear you? Yes, he hears you. Mm-hmm. you know, does he love you? Yes, he loves mm-hmm. you. Does he always answer you right the way you want? The, no. I mean, that one time he did it maybe just to, to, to reel me in. You know? And that's cool. That's a good way that's, of reeling That's cool. In. He got yeah. me. That's great. I give him all the glory. He did it. Yeah, yes. he did it. Yes. So, so that's how it started. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about... So you become a Christian, obviously. And, and now changes and transformation yeah. begins to take effect, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and there was some struggles and issues. So tell big us a time, little bit about like, that journey. So now I'm starting to I'm realizing Jesus is who he says he is. Yes. And that sounds real obvious to everybody here, but that was not obvious to me. Yeah. And so what do you do when you want to know more about Jesus? Yeah. You get on YouTube. <laughs> you get on YouTube. <laughs> What? You get on YouTube. <laughs> okay. Because you don't know anybody who's Christian who can help you. Yeah. This is why you need community. You don't know. Community, that's right. Community, community. That's right. Yes. That's why you need community because, yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> right. I don't know any Christians. I, it's like me and my friend, are, are, we're, we're baby Christians, basically, and we have nobody to go to. Yeah. And by the way, Evan, this is like two years ago? How, two and a half years two ago. Two and a half years ago. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So you get on YouTube. So you get on YouTube. You get on YouTube. So I start watching sermons. There's lots of crazy stuff. There's all there kinds too. of crazy stuff on YouTube. You know what I mean? But I, but, like uh, freak? Oh, terrible. Absolutely. Okay. And totally. You're absolutely right. But the Holy Spirit, he's going to use that if he wants to. Because God just uses what he wants to. Mm-hmm. And there are awesome sermons on YouTube. And there's a, we're talking about there's a channel called Precious Testimonies. It's a Christian who has made it his life's mission. God told him, you are to collect and to archive testimonies. And you are to present them. And he's been doing it back since VHS. He was making VHS tapes and mailing them out to people. Now he's just putting them up on YouTube. And you can literally watch thousands of testimonies. And that's what I did. Mm. I watched testimonies. And at the end, if you want to accept Jesus, you know, pray this prayer. I'm, not pray- I'm sitting in front of my computer monitor praying, you know. Mm. And that was my church for a good year and a half. I was, mm. you know, praying in front of YouTube. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> this is a step up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is a step up. And, you know, and, and during that time, I had myself convinced, yeah. well, you know, it's great, but I, as a, I don't need to go to church. Yeah. I, I don't need a church community. I can just do this. Yeah. I can 
worship God and read my Bible and go grow close to him and it'll all be just fine. Yeah. And then I kind of realized, like, no, mm. part of the body of Christ. You can't just sit in your office in front of YouTube and call that uh, a relationship with God, you know, or being Can the church active. say amen? <laughs> amen. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah. Evan, so when we briefly talk, so... I mean, you were, a, as you readily admit, a terrible human being yes, at work. Yes, absolutely. Like, and I can go into what I mean by that. But please, I, go I ahead. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I was a, a terrible human being. Kind of the, yeah. the transition and change that took yeah. place yeah. in your work. So, you know, people will ask you, yeah. like, uh, why, how do you know God is real? How do you know your religion? And how do you know your Jesus is, 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 is God and not this one or that one or this one or that one? Well, there's some very good answers to that. And one of them is he changed my heart. Mm-hmm. He changed what I could not change, and that whole experiment with Buddhism and meditating and trying so hard to just let it go and to be Zen about it and whatever didn't work. But he changed my heart. You know, he is still working in my heart. Yeah. It was there was an immediate change, and then there were progressive changes, and there's today and every single day yeah. going forward. What were some of the ways? That you so work was a big one for me yeah. because it's it's like going to war. Going to the what? Going to war. I mean, that's kind of war. I mean, I think it's, uh, it, it, in a real sense, it feels like combat, yeah. but it's also spiritual combat yes. for me going into that place because, you know, you have a persona, a person that you are at work that you may not be like with your family or with your friends. And I had a persona, and it was a very successful one, mind you. I mean, I had a lot of fun. I had some dark humor, some sarcasm. I could get the people laughing, and they were, I, was, I was having a ball with it. But let's be honest, it was not good. It was not holy fellowship. It was unholy fellowship. Mm. It was fellowship of an evil variety I recognize now. Mm. And that disdain and distaste, because, you know, people, when they're in, when they're in that place, I'm not talking if you come in with appendicitis, everyone's standing outside the room making fun of you. That's not it, okay? <laughs> Let's just get that straight. But there are every kind of per- difficult people, very disturbed yes. people, people addicted to different substances or who've been through very challenging, very difficult things in their lives. When they show up there... They are not on their A game walking through that door. They're having a difficult time of it, and it can be crazy, okay? And so, you know, we have a tendency as hypocritical people working there to either make fun amongst ourselves or to um, be holier than thou. Like, well, I wouldn't, I would have just, that kind of an attitude. And then just being angry at people, hating people, just saying, like, I hate people that do this or do that. That's real. Okay, I'm just being honest with you. Mm. That was where my heart was at. Mm. Okay, and it's terrible. It's ugly. And like I said, when I would look at my wife as I was downloading, oh, this person came in and I was looking. I was kind of looking in her eye. She didn't like who I was. And I was seeing her face, and I'm like, wow, I'm a monster. I'm a monster. But I didn't know what to do about it. I did not know what to do about it. And what happened was the Lord has been taking care of that. So he makes it so that you he just he lifts that angst and you have to repent of it you have to recognize it and bring it before him and confess it to him and repent of it really and just be like i'm done with that you got to change my heart on that now i can walk in the room and I, and the thing is is you know when you when the doctor walks in the room right away you size him or her up and they size you up and you just know if it's going to happen or it's not going to happen right and so people can sense it and when you're walking in there and you seem legitimately interested and at ease and at peace and like there's a kindness in your face and in your voice it is amazing 
how people respond and how they trust you and how just the thing just things just go well and there's no angst and there's no anger there anymore now does it happen do i do i still struggle of course that's the that's the christian walk is that that doesn't just like snap your fingers i mean there's some people who come to the lord and they Next day, they're delivered of alcoholism. The next day, they're delivered of drug addiction. The next day, they're delivered of some really, you know, big thing, you know. For me, it was more of a progressive process that, you know, I I would say a person I haven't seen for two or three years, they wouldn't necessarily recognize me Mm. as a person. And that's his doing. No one can do that. No one can do that, you know. And uh, no other religion can do that, Mm. just just as a matter of fact, I'm just, that's a throwdown right there. It's just, no, it's just they can't do it. Yeah. It's just a fact. Yeah. One of the things that you said that the gospel healed you of was self-righteousness. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk a little bit well, about Well, so now that. this is the thing. So now without a church community, I actually fell into a trap. Because I, I personally feel there is an enemy. That enemy is real. He's a personal force just like Jesus is a personal force. And when you don't have the Lord as your Savior, you're just a prisoner of war. He didn't waste much time on you because you got, you got nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay? But when you have faith, you believe in the Lord, yes. now you're, you could be dangerous to him. You're yeah. not necessarily dangerous to him. But he's going to work on you a different way. And the way he attacked me right away was legalism. Mm. He just came at me with legalism. And the thing is, is it does appeal to your flesh to have like rules to follow now the irony is there's absolutely no way that you can follow them and that's kind of the whole point of the cross that's right, right. that's right there's no way you can do it that's right but you like to feel like yeah you know i got this thing i understand you know this is what god wants and this is how it goes and and so no one wants to be around someone like that <laughs> there's no love there there's no mercy there there's no understanding there there's not there's nothing good really you yeah. know that that but that person feels like they're doing something good yeah and so um, my wife, who is not currently a believer, she believes in God, and, but not, is not a follower of Jesus. Yeah. Um, she really, I mean, she had had an experience where she had attended a church in her early 20s and actually sought the Lord and mm. was barraged by legalism in that church and eventually left and just basically gave up on Christianity. You know? And so to see me go through that transformation was and become like that yeah. it was very bad. It was very challenging. And unfortunately, the Lord saw me through that. Yeah. Taught me about grace and about yeah. what it's really all about. You know? But, um, yeah, that was, a, that, was a, that was difficult because yeah. it was just a trip through, through that. Yeah. But as you began to understand grace more, yes. how did it affect you as a doctor interacting with patients, other doctors in your work? One of the most powerful things for me was remembering that Jesus loves every single person like he loves me. He loves all of us. And so it's like if you knew some person that you highly esteemed, mm. I don't know, some great figure or something, and you somehow got to know this person, and, and they introduced you to, like, their nephew, you would instantly just be like, oh, hi, you know, nice to meet you, and you'd kind of look out for them and kind of be pulling, you know, you just want to, you know, good things for them and everything. That's kind of how you got to look at all of humanity. You know? Yeah. That Jesus loves them like he loves you. And that, like, you know, that sounds real great and everything. It's like, well, we'll go ahead and put it into practice. Well, it's kind of you got to remind yourself when you walk out of that room, like, he loves that person. Mm. He loves that person. He's no, he's no respecter of persons. He's not going to love you more than that one, mm-hmm. you know. So just remember that when you go in there kind of thing. And it doesn't always go perfect, okay. Yeah. But 
that's part of the way that he um, reached me. Yeah. Yeah. Evan, when we had coffee, we briefly talked about one of the things that you saw as you became a Christian was that there are a lot of folks who go to church, are religious, but aren't followers of Jesus. I mean, I, I don't want to be overly critical, I mean, you know, of my the denomination I grew up sure. in, which was, you know, the Greek Orthodox Church. But I, like I said, for Greeks, it's a cultural thing. Yeah. It's a language thing. It's a cultural thing. And you just go to church. But yeah. I don't know any real followers of Jesus at church. Um, nobody, I, I mean, it's nobody. When I say nobody, I mean, like, most, most people. There may be some people, Okay. Most people, they do not have Bibles or read Bibles. Mm. I don't think many of them have real prayer lives, I would say. Um, and I don't see any difference in their behavior once they leave that church the rest of the week. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You know, and, I, and again, none of us are perfect. We all you know, have difficulties with those things, okay? So I'm not saying like, you, you know, that I've got it all down or whatever. But like, you, you, you can just see that this is a religion, you know, and it, it's a, there's a liturgy and this big ornate thing, and it kind of like it kind of like appeals to the flesh in a sense because it's it looks holy. Yeah, they're saying holy stuff and they're doing holy stuff, and there's holy stuff going on all around, and there's pictures on the wall, and it all looks holy. You know, but it's like, you know, it's not about the building and right. and attending. It's about like living it out, walking it out, the like the the relationship, the like right. you know that whole thing. You know. Um, so that was my experience with yeah. religion, and that's why I was so, like, I don't want religion. This is relationship. It's not religion. You know what I mean? And, and attending here is not so that you can come get some more religion. Yeah. You know? um, so, yeah, that was, that was what I took away from that. And it kind of, like, it makes me a little sad because, you know, like, it's in the emergency room, I, like, run across Greeks. So, oh, so you're Greek. You know, that's wonderful. So you go to St. Peter's or St. George's or St., you know, I don't go to any of those St. Uh, Georgia churches. I'm sorry to inform. Well, what do you? What do you mean you don't go there? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like they could. It's like anathema that I would go to a non-Greek Orthodox mm-hmm. church. You know, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. rocks their world. So, mm. I think it was you when we had coffee that said there's a difference between believing in Jesus and trusting Him. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I told you where I, I kind of like the breakthrough for me with that was reading the Amplified Bible. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like one of those people I want to like dig in further. Like, okay, so you have faith in me, then you're saved. I'm like, okay, so like what does the word faith mean? Mm. Like we can all kind of brainstorm a list or whatever, but like what does that really mean? And I like the Amplified Bible because it's like it'll have little brackets say, you know, trust in me, rely upon me, lean upon me. That it, Like it, it goes into this long thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and then you run across that passage. I think it's Paul who says that, you know, even the demons believe mm-hmm. in Jesus, but they obviously they don't follow him. But, you know, mm-hmm. but that just shows you just believing that he's, he's there, it doesn't help you really. Yeah. So for me, that like one of the ways that that has helped me even today, but when I go into work is uh, just knowing like, he's got this. Yeah. And like re- reminding myself like all the time, like he's got this. You know, one of the, th- the aspects for the, all of us as ER physicians are always nervous about is working a night shift. Yeah. There's a lot of angst built up about being there at night by yourself. All the specialists are gone home. Yeah. You know, what if a, like a sick little baby comes in and I can't save him? Yeah. You know, something like that. You just walk in, you're just a whole day, I'm like, oh, you know, nervous about it. 
oh boy, here we go, you know, another night shift coming up, you know, and all of us kind of feel that way, yeah. you know, on some level, and that angst was just torturing me, mm. and now I'm just like, Jesus has got it, you know, he's going to help me out, he's not going to leave me hanging here, you know, he's, he's, he's got this, you mm. know, and so that was interesting as I would pray, and that didn't happen like one day I decided, oh, he's got this, okay, it was just that simple, I just decided and now it happened, <laughs> you know, it was a process of being like, he's got this, he's That's every right. day, he's That's got right. this, he's That's got, right. and then suddenly I was like, he, he's got this, he's, yeah. he hasn't let me down yet, now we've got a track record, that's the relationship, is the track record, yeah. And, uh, and those moments when you're like, oh, things are going, and then suddenly something happens, and it all comes together, and you're like, oh, he, he's got this, you know? And so that was, for me, that was the, like, the process of, like, making that real. Yeah. yeah. Like, actually, like, do you trust him? I'm like, no, I don't trust him, apparently, because I go into work, like, in angst-filled panic. I can't really be trusting him, can I? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, you're as we kind of sort of wrap this up, you're the only believer in your family. You shared a little bit about your wife and her journey. Right. And you've shared with me that the challenges of being a follower of Christ now and folks around you who know you best knew you the before encountering Christ seven and now. So some of the challenges that you face in trying to be a husband, be a father as a follower of Christ. I mean, I, you know, I, I came to this, like I said, I, I didn't start off so good. Okay, so this is like, you know, but the thing that I kind of like have come to the understanding of, it's, it's what, it's how you conduct yourself every day. That's your testimony. It's how you walk around. Is Do you walk around with love? Do you, are you really like working on that side of things? Because that's the thing is if you, and, and uh, you know, not like this is not preaching here, but I was just thinking, how did Jesus do it? You know? Yeah. He just, he loved people into the kingdom. Yeah. I mean, you see him, he gets angry. He only gets angry at the Pharisees, really. You know, he's, that was the only piece he's yelling at, you know, knocking tables over and going. Yeah. But to the, to the rest of the world, he was just loving on them and providing them with the good news. And so it was like, that to me was the big breakthrough. Am I loving my wife? Am I being there as a good husband? Do I have that down? Not even close. Not even close. But it's a big difference than the way it was, I would say. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, she recognizes that. And that's the testimony. Like, you know, you can try as hard as you want, but if it's not in your heart, it's not happening. And people can tell when it's not in your heart. You can smile and fake it, and eventually, you know, they'll see through that veneer and realize, yep, he was just, you know, playing this, you know, this act, you know. Mm. But when it's not an act, eventually people kind of look at that, and they're like, wow, you know, there's something to this. And that's, I think, how you reach your family members, and praying. And I think the thing about that is that, you know, so this is interesting. After this all happened with me and, you know, Coming to, coming to to the Lord, my wife's aunt is a is a, she was a believer. She's since passed on, but um, she uh, said, "You know, I take some credit for you coming to the Lord." Now, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. She said, "I would pray for you every day. Mm. I would pray for you. I would pray for your wife. I would pray for your children every mm. day." And she would get up at four in the morning and pray for two hours. That's dedication. That's loving. She would love the Lord. It was just so obvious how much she loved the Lord. And so I don't know how many years she, I didn't get a chance to ask her how many years she did that for. <laughs> but the bottom line is she yeah. does have a part in my testimony. That's right. You know, I do believe that. That's right. Uh, you know, and so you just have to keep at it. And that could be, uh, for me, it was, uh, I, I prayed for my friend and it was uh, two weeks. Yeah. Okay. For her, it was probably at least, uh, you know, eight years. Yeah. Okay. And there's other people, it's uh, 15. Don't give up. That's right. Don't give up. Just walk it out and pray for them and, and just let the Lord do the rest. And I think that that's, that's what you can do. You know? yeah. And it works. That's the thing. Is it actually works.
Are you encouraged, church? You don't have to turn it off. Don't turn it off yet. Don't turn it off yet. Part of the way that I wanted to end today's service was, and, and we didn't plan this, but the way that Evan kind of brought the conversation. Do you know that every week we get requests filled out from folks who say, can you pray for my brother, my sister? Evan, where are you going? We're not done, brother. We're not done. We're not done. Oh, sit, sit. sit. By the way, before I share this, and we clap, but it's perfectly appropriate to clap and give praise to God for the work that's in his life. Amen. breaks my heart but also encourages me every time we lift up these names of folks that you care about who don't know Jesus I hope this morning was that those of you that have been praying for family members and again we didn't plan on ending like this and you've been praying for three years you've been praying for five maybe you just began that we would persevere continue to pray and we're going to do that literally we're going to do that in about a minute or so the other thing that I wanted to do is I thought, you know, I want to preach on evangelism and sharing what it means to be a follower of Christ who shares our faith. I'm thinking, sometimes even more powerful than a sermon is this. For anybody that's been sitting here going, does God still change lives? Does God still hear our prayers? Does anything I do make a difference? More powerful than a sermon is when you get to hear an Evan that says, he did this for me. Maureen. And we've been praying for Maureen. We have. So church, two things. One, for those of you that I've been thinking about what does it mean for me to live my life as a witness to share Christ that you would walk away encouraged and challenged today in your workplaces in your homes and secondly I do want us to we don't have a ton of time but pray and to lift up our friends family loved ones and if you're not a Christian here when we do this it's not because we think we're better we just want you to know this person that's done this in our lives and we so love him that we want you to we want you to know him as well. We found something that's been amazing to us, and we want you to know it too. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to open this up, and I'm just going to ask that you just lift up names and pray it out loud enough so we could hear you. So what we're going to do for the next minute or two is we're just going to fill this room right now. And God knows when you say that name, God already knows that God we would fill this room up right now with names of people that we're just lifting up. And so just lift up their name. God knows who they are and knows your heart and your prayer. So Father, we right now lift up our family members, our friends, our loved ones who don't know you. And some of these folks have been praying for days, weeks, months, and years. And we once again are reminded today to not give up, to never give up, but to persevere and pray so that they too would come to know this amazing, amazing news. 
of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Father, we stand amazed at your work in the life of heaven. Thank you for being a God who is in pursuit and constantly seeking after those that you love, that you've created, and that you died for. As Evan prayed, we join our voices in lifting up these names. We thank you that you know them by name, that they're fearfully and wonderfully made. We thank you that you know their story. We thank you that you know their experiences. And God, we do walk away with this challenge that whether it takes days, weeks, months, and years, that we would be like that widow who would persistently cry out to our righteous judge, God, that your salvation would break through, that you would open the eyes of their hearts, that they would come to know our Savior and Lord. To anyone who's grown weary, to anyone who's grown tired, to anyone who's grown discouraged, God, we pray that you would speak to them and that you would encourage their hearts and that you would remind them that you are faithful even when we remain faithless. That you, God, are constantly at work and that we would place our hopes in who you that encourage us even as we go about this week. You are an amazing God. And for anybody sitting here who is away from you and wondering whether you could do something in our own hearts, may we also be reminded today that you can take the hardest of hearts and make them soft. That you can take the hearts that have grown cynical and pessimistic who you are and in this world that you would remind us give us a glimpse that hope transformation change is possible <laughs> that in the truest sense if you could work in Evan's heart that you can work in ours thank you